0: 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Game over. Welcome, welcome to the first Game Over Montreal of the post-Bergevin era, where sometimes, if the team is bad for a really long time, The GM gets fired, but unlike uh, the team that beat the Montreal Canadiens tonight, the Vancouver Canucks, they don't do that. They just let it sit and go. And I have two wonderful guests to talk about that with me today. Noah Bashir and Vanessa, or sorry, not Vanessa, Samantha. Sorry, I was confusing you with your co-host on the broadcast for a second there. Obviously, I'm a faithful listener.
1: It's perfect because she always says I'm super old, so.
0: (laughs) Now she's going to be offended. (laughs) Awesome. So how are you guys doing? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of turmoil over the last 24 hours in Habs land. And now that we've seen the Vancouver Canucks beat the Montreal Canadiens after firing their GM that we know, factually, the Vancouver Canucks do not need to fire Jim Benning. He's GM for life.
1: I'm going to leave this chat now. (laughs) It's going to rage quit.
2: Do you you really want to call it turmoil, though? Or do you want to call it a cleansing, a long, long overdue
0: cleansing? I mean, I think it depends on where you're coming from, right? Because there's a lot of people who view what Bergeron has done as, if you look at the individual moves, and they want to give him his flowers, which I understand, he's made some good moves. Like I, I think last season, without a doubt, his offseason was very strong. I really liked the Toffoli move. The Joel Edmondson move worked out really well. But if you take it as a whole, he took a team that when he got here was a bona fide playoff team with a core that could be turned into a cup contender, rode that out until Price started getting injured a lot, and then sent the rest of that core out of town and, like, in decent trades overall, but he didn't improve the team. And here we are today watching all those worse. things fall apart, death by a thousand cuts, and the team is terrible.
2: He made them so much worse. I know you can look at each individual move and argue it, but if you look at the body of work, he made them so much worse. This is not, like, I, I joked on Twitter that it's... This, this is either my birthday present nine or I said 10 months too early and I screwed up the math, or it's five years and three months too late. Because I mean, I don't, whoever's saying, oh, yay, Jeff Molson was so brave and so smart to fire a It's like, yeah, how many years later? And like, this is not my job. This is me watching for fun here and there. It's not, ugh. You, I mean okay I'm I'm so I'm not supposed to be upset right now I'm supposed to be really happy because they finally got rid of me <laughs> but I can't help it because it took forever it took forever
1: it's incredible how many parallels like I'm just listening to you guys talk I was like this you could just be talking about the Canucks like swap out the
2: names yeah
0: you, you see the, the tweet get retweeted all the time with the Canucks, at like Jim Benning's first press conference. I think it was the quote was something along the lines of, like, I really like the core of this team. I think we could turn it around in a hurry.
1: That's the exact quote.
0: And what is it? Seven years later now? eight. This is the eighth, eighth season?
1: This is the eighth season. And in June, he specifically said. The goal is to make the playoffs, because if you look at the Montreal Canadiens, all you have to do is make the playoffs and anything oh, can happen. Oh,
0: no.
1: Oh, great planning. That's what I want from my general manager.
2: Oh, can we can we talk about that for a sec? Can we talk about Bears statement after he left where and I nearly threw my phone like across <laughs> the room and broke the phone and the TV? where he said, and I'm not quoting, I'm paraphrasing, because I read it one time and then wanted to, like, gouge my eyes out. But I know I said at the beginning of every year, all we wanted to do was make the playoffs and then anything could happen. But my goal every year was to win the Cup. And I just was like, you lie. You lie. (laughs) You, like if you were really trying to build a contender, that's not what you would have done. And and the year that St. Louis barely scraped in and was like last place in January and won the cup. I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is bear's Dream. Yeah. This is the worst possible thing. is like, how can we just eke in and then win the cup? So every year after the Habs were eliminated, all I would sit there and just like pray to God that, The team that wins is a fast, skilled team that plays their kids. So that maybe, maybe he'd go, oh, that's the team I want to copy. And it never worked. (laughs) (laughs) It worked for like five seconds, maybe. And then it fell apart.
0: It's funny, you don't see many teams saying they're going to like use the Tampa Bay Lightning model, right? Because that includes actual effort and getting good players and building like a well-rounded team. But they're like, oh, well, you know, the Montreal Canadiens model, we'll just get a bunch of big defensemen and we'll go straight to the final. It's like, I, I have a, a trouble because I don't want to tell anyone they shouldn't enjoy that cup run, right? It was enjoyable, but it was a flash in the pan. And if you couldn't see that, even when they did earn their victories, that team was not prepared to build themselves into sustained, successful, uh, playoff runs. It just wasn't going to happen. The writing was on the wall from the previous four regular seasons, you know, like yeah, that team was not a playoff team in terms of getting there in the first place. And we've seen that again this year with like, to be fair, they've had, they dealt with some serious losses from a player perspective, but. They haven't built anything for the future, despite the fact that they've been a bad team for a long time, which is kind of like, I feel like uh, Vancouver in some ways is ahead of the Canadians because they have Hughes and Pedersen and Besser, like they've got, they've nailed some of those top end picks. Whereas the Canadians have like, hopefully Cole Caulfield gets to that level and Suzuki is not quite at that level, but he's a very good player. But other than that, it's like a lot of hoping and a wishing.
1: But even then, I feel like these kinds of flash in the pan, like Cinderella runs or you look at Vancouver taking Vegas to seven games in the bubble and everyone was like, oh, this is this is a building step. They they've improved. And then the next season, you know, last season they were average at best and everyone was like, oh, well, you know, they took Vegas to seven games. And so improvement isn't linear. It's normal to kind of have ups and downs. But you look at teams that are actually well-built, like you said, Tampa, or like look at Colorado. And those are teams that despite being well-built and contending regularly in the regular season, still don't make it that far in the playoffs necessarily. And it's because it's actually hard to succeed. Yeah. And you can all you can do is put yourself in the best position possible every year. And it's still incredibly hard to win. Like the team that wins has like a 22% chance of winning. And instead you have GMs who are like, well, it's really hard to win anyway. So why don't I just like throw whatever I can at this and see what happens?
2: Why don't I go for the 5% chance of winning? Yeah, yeah. Try
0: and and a lot of GMs, I think, play it safe in that way, right? Like their number one goal is less about building the best possible team and more about not getting fired for long enough to get enough kicks at the can that maybe they luck their way to a championship, right? So I feel like that's like the takeaway for me from the Bergevan regime is that so often he made safe moves, not necessarily in terms of like not risking things from like making a big move, because like he did trade P.K. Subban from for him. That was a big risk. Right. And it ended up being all right. But you traded P.K. Subban not for a young player that could help you. You trade them for an older player that you thought could make you better right now. Turned out they didn't get better right then. They just kind of waffled along and got one lucky run out of it. But that safe attitude to me is just so boring. You know, as like from perspective of just a hockey fan, I don't want to see people like that in charge. I want to see people who have great successes and great failures because they're trying to do something interesting. And I feel like so much of the hockey man mentality is just about like, keep our boys employed, you know? And like, oh, I don't want to send an offer sheet to this team who's extremely vulnerable and up against the cap because I don't, I don't want to piss anybody off. They're my friends. Like, I don't (laughs) care. Is it a competition or is it not?
2: Well, and this is part of what like, and I don't, they're not my team. Obviously I'm cheering for the Habs. I'm not cheering for Carolina, but when they offer sheeted KK this year, I mean, you know what, they're stuck with that contract. It's not even about that. I just like, I respect and I appreciate their game that they actually went and did that. And it, it fits so well with the, the whole bunch of jerks theme. And like, it's just, it's fun. And so much of, of the Habs and general hockey culture, but specific, the Habs really embody this, is like, they're so about their history, which is a great history, kudos but it's so conservative and it's so like you, all these things are connected, right? Like I hate to go back to this, but Michelle Terrian saying no more triple low five, like heaven forbid yeah. we have fun when we win a game, right? Because that's, you just can't do like this. Has got to be Put really yourself
0: serious. above the team.
2: Exactly. Mark Bergevin being like, um, you know, I'm only going to get guys who really hate to lose. It's like, okay, they really hate to lose, but they just keep losing. Like they- <laughs>
0: but they're miserable about it.
2: Exactly. (laughs) And it's, it's all this fake, um, like supposed respectability culture that is actually sucks all the joy out of it. And doesn't give you anything to cheer for. You're like, okay, so I'm just supposed to watch this lunch pail. Listen, that how's this different than me going to work? I watch hockey for it to be fun. I want, I want PK Subban to rush up the ice. I want uh, Alex Kovalev. I want I want the kids, like, never mind, let's forget about the past. I want Cole Caulfield. I want Nick Suzuki. I want someone who's going to make a mistake to go out and make a mistake, but make a spectacular, you know, attempted play in the process. That's what's fun to actually watch. So go take the risk, do the big thing.
1: I totally agree with you. Somebody said to me the other day, like, well, you know, at least the Canucks are better than Ottawa. I was like, like maybe on paper, but, but. Yeah, first of all, is that the bar? But second of all, I feel like at least the Sens have fun when they're on the ice. Like, true. there's something about the Sens and their fan base where they're still having fun even when they're bad. Whereas right now, when the Canucks are bad, it's just painful. Like, it's boring, it's not fun to watch, and we're just having the same conversations over and over and over again. And it's it's, like, incredibly hard to keep watching.
0: It is, honestly... Flabbergasting how similar Montreal and Vancouver have been for the last several years. Like, it's the parallels are so crazy. I mean, it all goes back to like Benning and uh Bergevin. They had that rivalry in Boston and uh Chicago when they went to the cup final and they went out and ruined two other teams. No, no, no. <laughs> I, mean, I think Bergevin was actually already with the Canadians at that point, but uh, yeah, it's. It's hard to get around. I mean, like you talk about playing the kids. Cole Caulfield played twelve minutes tonight. You played, oh, okay, I believe, so... ten minutes the game before. Oh my god! Like... So if you're
2: dominating the charm, and you've just seen your general manager get fired, and you've just seen someone else come in. Who? Fine, he's not the GM, but you know the new exec come in, and he has recently done a rebuild somewhere else, and this is still the player management decision that you make tonight to like barely play Cole Caulfield. What are you thinking? Is he, cause I'm, 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 it's not a rhetorical question. What is he thinking? Is he thinking I have to eke out a win to save my job and then going back to his same old, of I'm just going to play, I'm just going to make the safe decisions that don't actually pan out. Like, wouldn't you think, okay, maybe I need to change and I need to actually try to, play the kids a bit more and to give them a chance like the season's lost the season's lost we've all talked about this but what's he thinking really
0: i mean you i don't know if you saw his quote earlier before the game but he was talking about how like a different gm doesn't matter to him because he never played in the nhl so he had to work his way up here and he's had to prove himself time and time again and it's like but okay so uh but you're Start not. proving yourself then, because no, no, no. it hasn't been looking good so far. And like I think he has done some things recently, like that I've approved of with Ducharme. Like I feel like his lines have been finally keying on something. Like he's got some balance going there. But even like the last two games, I understand that uh, the Penguins game was like high leverage, and they were getting outplayed most of the game. And maybe you don't want to risk some of the younger kids playing. But like in that game, Cole Caulfield had. The I think it was like the best or the second best on ice goal, uh, expected goal differential the entire team tonight. He was mid range in expected goals, but top two in shot attempts like things are happening when the kid is on the ice. He hasn't looked the most amazing, but giving him the opportunity to grow into that seems worthwhile to me. Not well, and, and
2: who has looked the most amazing, Andrew? Like, have any of these other guys looked so amazing that you're sitting them, like, their precious ice time for Caulfield? Like, yeah. it doesn't actually... If there was somebody... If there was some argument to be made for, well, I'm taking it away from this player who's been excellent. No one's been excellent. <laughs> the team's doing awful.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say, like, tonight, Joe Duran was very good. Yes. Uh Against the Penguins, Josh Anderson was amazing. But I think both those guys are on the other wing than Caulfield. So like I don't know Anderson's on the same wing, he's on the right wing. But uh you can
2: still play them both though. You I can, mean,
0: yeah. I mean you can, you find, can find a way. You four
2: can, lines.
0: <laughs> at a at a certain point, like the excuses just become tired, right? You have to yeah. figure out a way. And I think the main thing that I would be looking at is taking some ice time away from like the fourth line that's been struggling a little bit, like Yoel Armia, I'm not seeing it right now. (laughs) Like, I don't, I I know he's been very good. I really like him overall, but this season has been a struggle for him. And I'm, uh, I'm not sure what the Canadians need to do, like need to see to play some of the young kids over some of their veterans, because it's not like they're in a situation where they really need to desperately chase wins because they're not making the playoffs. So you may as well live and die with development. And they seem hard pressed against that, which it's good that uh, Jeff Molson actually mentioned that in his press conference earlier today, that he wanted to key in on development and supporting their younger players and helping them grow because they have abjectly failed at that.
2: I, uh, you mentioned Jeff Molson. I will just take a little detour to say that I wish there was a way we could get rid of him too. And I know you can't get rid of the owner, but the couple of things that, um, you know, people were talking about, given the fact that like for him to say that, you know, uh, Van, you know, stayed in this job for as long as he did. And um, uh, we had a culture around him where everybody could say if they didn't agree, like, I don't believe for a second that you actually had a culture that didn't just have a bunch of yes-men because I, I, I can't, unless you literally, like either they're a bunch of yes-men or they just hired, like, this, does everybody think exactly the same thing? Because if everybody bought into that and Molson didn't see that for five, like for, I mean, 10 years, fine. He, he wasn't horrible for 10 years, but he definitely went past his expiration date um i'm i'm hoping that having somebody in place in between the ownership and the GM will help but i i just i think that we can't get rid of him obviously he's the owner unless he wants to sell the team G- <laughs> and peace out somewhere but if you don't if you don't care like that much then i'm i'm really hoping that having somebody there will help because you how how many other teams keep a gm for 10 years
0: not many i, I think more there's years of gem yeah i mean <laughs> two more years there's a uh, nashville yeah they've had forever uh, san jose has had forever um st louis i think i mean we talked you talked to sam earlier about uh, the best strategy being being really good for a really long time and getting as many chances as you want to win and how hard it is to win i mean san jose is a great example of that right like you could argue that for about a decade they were overall the best team in the league and they never won and that's i always bring them up to to like dangle and and adam whenever they get real spicy about the maple leaves being good i'm like you know you could just be the sharks like that can happen you can just be great for a really long time and never win and uh it, it's tough to evaluate that kind of situation because Obviously, the Sharks did a lot of things really well over a very long tenure and never got what maybe they deserved. You could look at like but the I'd Flyers in the 90s, team. right?
2: It's I'd rather be that team. Of course you I would, agree. yeah.
0: Like who like it's different when you actually luck out and win a cup, but if you look at every year where there's a Cinderella team, the Cinderella team never actually wins in hockey. Right? We have a lot of parody in the game. Until it gets to you go through four rounds of attrition and you finally get to the end spot and the weaker team almost always loses. The only time in like recent memory where the very obviously weaker team to me lost, I'm sorry, Samantha, was 2011. And I thought that the Vancouver Canucks were a significantly stronger team. And then the refs were like, penalties don't matter. We're just not going to call anything, and the Bruins were like, I mean, "Oh, really?" Really,
1: really helps when calling Campbell's son is playing on your team, right?
0: Of course, of course. It also helps when, in the first round, you break the neck of the guy who's been scoring on you constantly all season, yeah. and he doesn't have, he doesn't get to play in the first round, and your captain suffers no suspension. But I digress. I won't live on the past. But speaking well, of, Max- I was going to
1: say the only <laughs> other Cinderella run I could think of I was actually going to say was the last time is the Habs in '93. Yeah. And even then that was a really good team.
0: Yeah. You look back at that team and I think a lot of people saw where they ended up in the standings as like indicative of how good they were, which was like middling. But up until I think it was like the last 10 games, they went on a rough ride. They were like first or second in the league. So they were, you know, shockingly good. And they also rode like a hall of fame goaltender and 10 overtime wins. So like it, it felt more Cinderella than maybe it ended up being, because I believe they (laughs) swept two series as well, or four games and five games against the Islanders and Sabres. So like the Cinderella teams just aren't the thing you want to be, you know, you'd rather be the sharks than the Dallas stars or the Montreal Canadiens or the series of Canadian teams, except for the Canucks They went to the finals in like the early two thousands. Those teams don't get their, the end goal, right? You want to be the team that's consistently strong. Yeah, but what I was going to say as well, uh, speaking of Max Pacioretty, uh Asian Provocateur, which is another podcast on the SDPN, has Max Pacioretty on their show tomorrow. And I'm super interested in it because I talked to Adam a little bit earlier today and he said it was the most candid that Pacioretty's ever been and that he does comment a little bit on some of the things that went on in Montreal, both oh, towards God. the end of his tenure and possibly in and around the trade. So I'm very interested to see if we hear anything about the supposed rift between Patchett and Suban.
2: I couldn't dare to actually wish. I was like, it's Patchett. He's not going to say anything. He's not going to say anything. But wow, yay! This is amazing. <laughs> yeah,
0: because Patch is usually not very candid, right? And when he ever does anything, it's like super monotone. Like if you live in Montreal, you hear. His commercial for a company that like builds condos or houses here—it's like Presti—and it's like this is Max Pacioretty for Presti, and it's just—it's awful. This is
2: my dream home. (laughs) Yeah, they built my
0: dream home in Brossard, and they could build yours too. And (laughs) hopefully, he's a lot more fun on the podcast. I feel like when you're relaxed and you're with your own agent, you're definitely in a better situation. But yeah, that's gonna be super hype tomorrow. But yeah, Max Pacioretty, great hab. Unfortunately, not very many people have scored. A lot since he left but uh, i suppose we should probably talk about this game a little bit also no scoring <laughs> really i i, I feel like say, do we have to yeah i mean a little a little but uh not a lot because uh, <laughs> there wasn't that much to write home about this was like a a game of two teams that like neither of them seemed to know where each other were at any point in the game like there were some decent plays overall especially on the power play for the canucks but uh overall Messy, messy game, like unbelievable amount of turnovers. Great goaltending, though. Demko and Allen put on the show.
2: That is true. Has anybody ever seen um, the old movie Gus about the mule that kicks the football? No. This might seem like it. So this this mule kicks a football and then they bring him to play in the NFL for a middling horrible team invented called the California Adams because he can kick field goals. from like Argentina or something there's the, the the it's a kid's movie okay but the point is there's a whole thing where they constantly show you how horrible this team is and that's the you know comic relief of the movie and watching this game was a lot like watching the scenes of comic relief in that movie where like just one disaster people trip over each other this happens that happens like it just I couldn't believe the especially the beginning like the first couple maybe not the beginning maybe most of the game but it <laughs> felt like oh my god wait like they couldn't complete a pass oh they just tripped over each other oh they just like I, I was looking for moments of stuff happening but they're just they're both so bad they're so bad
1: I saw I, I think the best description of this I saw was um Someone on Twitter, I think it's at Erickson's Burner. And they said, legally, I don't think you can call this game hockey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great account, by the way. Yeah. Very funny. Unfortunately, a Sens fan, which I forget every once in a while. <laughs> and then they tweet like a Sens positive thing. I'm like, hey, I don't want to read this.
2: I'm that's to follow this account. I was not aware of this account.
0: <laughs> it's very good. Very yeah. good jokes on that account.
2: But that's oh, accurate,
1: really? right? Like it's. Yeah. They- you know, you watch some of the other games around the league and then you watch the game tonight. And I was like, this is like watching a CHL game.
0: Like, it, the it's very is junior. Totally different. It felt like very much a junior game tonight, but like yeah. without the intensity, like it kind of <laughs> got there yeah. a little bit at the end in the third period where like yes. Canadians were pushing, things were kind of happening a little bit, but for the most part, it was just a mess, like two bad junior teams. That's what it feels like.
2: Yeah. I felt really bad for Josh Anderson. Cause I was just like, Oh, you know, trying to look for bright spots and saw some good plays and all of that. And then after he had a really good chance, then that horrible, horrible giveaway that leads to the goal. And it was just like, Oh, uh, just
0: bad. Yeah, and it- I
2: feel like it's one of these, you know, it's funny cause you were talking last, uh, last post game about, how you know, he tries to do too much sometimes and tries to carry the team, but he just doesn't always have the skill to do that. And I was like, oh, he's doing it. He's doing it. And then boom, that
0: came yeah. away. It's especially like a kick in the junk for him to do what he did against the Penguins, which was so dominant the entire game and just like really controlling the pace of that game in a lot of ways. And then tonight, like his biggest highlight being that awful turnover and being compared to Tucker Pullman, who – doesn't have the upside of Josh Anderson, we'll say.
1: Yeah. I had to watch Tucker Pullman for another four years. Oh my God. <laughs> Great.
0: Jim Benning loves those long-term contracts for defense. $2.5 eh?
1: million per year for four years for Tucker Pullman.
2: Well, there's a, that's another similarity they have, right? Term for like people yeah. who really
0: just... Yeah, term yeah. for the lower end of the lineup. That's definitely yeah. one of the biggest traps for bad gms that they consistently fall into and like i was reminded just going over bergevin's tenure in my head on doing like different shows and like planning for this show of like one of the first things that bergevin did when he came to montreal was to sign brandon Prust and travis moen for twin four-year contracts to be part of the fourth line and it's like yeah oh so he just never changed on that point like He signed Paul Byron to a huge contract, which I like Paul Byron. I really do. But now you're in a situation where like, is Paul Byron going to get bought out when he's healthy? Is he even a 13th forward on this roster? And he's making like three and a half million a year or something like that. Yoel Yoel Armia signed just this past year, $3.4 million, which was very much like a, hey, you were great in the run up to the Stanley Cup final. We're going to compete again contract. And it's like, he was not the guy you keep. You know, was it? that no, and
2: even even thinking they were going to compete again, like he believed that, which mm-hmm. is terrifying. Knowing everything they <laughs> he knew about everyone's health and who he was keeping and who he was letting go.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing for the Canucks, right? Like, I I look at the trade they made for Toffoli, which I loved t- Tyler Toffoli. I was happy with the trade, notwithstanding that I did not think it was the right time for it. Like they were not a team that should have been going all in on a rental.
2: Mm-hmm. They ended up
1: trading like a decent prospect for 17 games of Tyler to They specifically said, you know, we're planning to re-sign him. He said he wanted to stay. And then they just prioritized a bunch of guys who aren't even playing on this team anymore. Oh my God. And let him walk.
0: Yeah. Didn't they not even talk his, to him?
1: There was something like that. I think it, they didn't talk to him until later. Even though he clearly, like he was repeatedly saying, I want to play here. I enjoy playing here. And his contract, like, you know, talk about all the other bad things that Bergevin has done. $4.5 million for Tyler Toffoli is a very good contract.
0: It's phenomenal. Phenomenal contract.
1: And it just blows my mind that the Canucks just let this guy walk after 17 games.
0: Yeah. I remember reading like coverage of like what Benning said about Toffoli and it was like, oh yeah, we just ran out of time. And it's like, (laughs) stay up an hour later. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like get up an hour earlier do something <laughs>
1: like, and it's that's uh, a consistent problem right like it's not just to fully like we heard the same thing about chris Tana. we heard the same thing from like a number of players over the last few years that the communication coming from management is really bad and you just you can't treat players like that i just no. i don't understand what's happening here or why no changes are being made
0: well and especially with the way things are trending right like players now Care and get to control over some of their destiny, and like they want to be treated well and talked to with respect. You can't just treat them like a product anymore.
2: I think the the bad communication is another common thing, right? Like, or you know, with the Habs, you see it a lot more. Also, with the uh, with the prospects and with the kids and stuff, where they're just they're just completely just hung out to dry. Nobody tells them anything. Shape. who who was it who's recently been
0: Jordan somewhere? Harris
2: yeah I think so right was his dad commenting someone's dad was commenting I'm drawing a blank on I don't
0: name. know if it was his dad or if it was like the family advisor
2: oh, had okay, said maybe. to
0: Marc-Antoine Godin that the Canadians hadn't contacted him like this year which yes. is crazy because he's a developing player who's a prospect for that team you'd think that you'd be like I don't know Talking to them about their development, uh, what they need to work on, scouting them, having meetings with them every once in a while. Like, you would think you would have staffing to do that for at least all your North American prospects, because you're not even having to travel overseas, right? Like, you got to have something to, to help with these kids. And apparently it was just like, no, sink or swim, do it on your own. And this is a guy who might sign somewhere else. He's gone back to college. They're, like, hinting that he might sign with Boston or the Rangers. And the Canadians are like, oh, well, nothing we can do. And I remember like a few people in media asked me because like Bergman literally said nothing we can do if he wants to sign somewhere else. And I was like, I don't want to hear that. And a couple of people in media were like, well, what do you want him to do? And I was like, <laughs> not saying nothing we can do for starters, because if you're the general manager of a billion dollar corporation, you can't shrug your shoulders and say nothing we can do but like manage the situation before it gets to that point for starters. But once you're there, figure out their intentions, talk to the person, try to convince them to be there. Uh, tell them there's a spot open for them with, if they want to be an NHL at the end of the year, you know, like do something. <laughs> there's so many things that you can do just shrugging your shoulders and saying nothing we can do just seems so crazy and lazy to me that it's hard to believe that it took this long with an attitude like that. And I don't want to suggest that Mark Bergevin didn't care because he wears his emotions on his sleeve. It's very obvious that he did care, but I think some of the things that he prioritized are very archaic and not conducive to building a modern franchise.
2: Well, and I think so many of the things that you're talking about are basic management stuff that have nothing to do with hockey specifically. And so to your point, when people talk about what, who they're going to get for a general manager, you're like, it doesn't even have to be a hockey person. It can just be a good manager someone who knows how to manage, (laughs) like talking to your, you know, staff, whether that's people in the front office or your prospects who are your talent or like... Whoever it is, actually communicating with them, actually having systems in place to support that stuff—it's not it, like I'm not saying you know you can trade in any industry for any other industry, but there's management 101 like across the board, and some of that stuff is so lacking. And for an organization as big and as rich and as storied as the Habs, to be having that level of management mistakes, like just. Shortcomings. It's embarrassing. It's pretty embarrassing at a certain point.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I, I don't understand where the disconnect is for a lot of people where they think hockey is so difficult that a great manager or a great non hockey person can't get it. Like it's a complicated sport. Sure. But have you ever tried math, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, or Hey Sam, the law You know, like,
1: I don't know what that is.
0: I know. (laughs) Uh, But like, there's things that are a lot more complicated for than hockey to get a hold of. And it's even if you're talking about like managing personalities and yeah, you're dealing with millionaires in the dressing room and that might be a little bit different than your average corporation or whatever, but it's still only including prospects and everything. 50 contracts worth of players and maybe an extra 25 to 30 Guys in and around the organization that are really important. It's not that gigantic of a team, and you have your own management team that you can hire and build out. The Canadians, I think, were running too much of a skeleton crew overall in terms of like coaching and skills coaching and player development. But even with the crew that they had, I just don't believe that it's that impossible for a non hockey person to run it. Uh, we do need to do a slight interlude here because I have to promote the merch, which. Uh, you can check out on sdpn.ca and buy some Game Over merch. it. There's shirts, cups, all over, all kinds of stuff. I have a sick uh, pink sweater with the logo on it. But also, I have to ask a question. And I get uh, our moderator slash uh, social media guru Robert Malloy to maybe throw up a poll in the YouTube chat. Should I keep this mustache past November? I've been getting a lot of compliments on it. none, none from women though including my
1: wife <laughs> listen to your wife she's your wife <laughs> i was gonna say yes but for the chaos
0: <laughs> yeah every time there's like men in the comment section on youtube or like when i have guys on they're like that's a flex that's that's a good duster and all the women are like why'd you do that
2: <laughs> mustaches are bad mustaches are universally bad there's i yeah. agree I- Mustaches need to go with the full. There has to be more. It yes. Can't just be a
0: I'm a big full, be- full beard person.
2: Well, there you it's go. weird to
0: have my chin out. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to keep it, just do the whole thing. Yeah. That's the right call.
0: I'm with you, but I will listen to the people if they voted in for December. Oh. I won't keep it into the new year. But what, what I'll do is I'll just not trim it out. Like, I won't shave it. I'll just let my beard grow out. If it's voted for. We'll see. Oh, Robert says, the pull command's not working. So, okay, it's getting changed.
2: <laughs> the pull said no. saved.
0: <laughs> yeah, Robert says, trust the wife. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. Trust the wife. Probably That's a the good life. idea.
2: Listen to Robert. He's a smart guy. There you go.
0: This is true. Robert's pretty smart. Okay, so <laughs> positives out of that game. Trying to ring as few out as or as many out as I can. There's very few. Uh, I thought Norlander looked pretty good.
2: I thought Paling looked great and Drewan. Yeah, just gonna there. That's my positives. Yeah,
0: I I think my main takeaway was that Norlander for the first time started to look really comfortable defensively, which has been an issue for him. Mm -hmm. I thought Niku was actually pretty good as well.
2: Yeah, I noticed Niku in not negative ways. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's just that's okay like win. as positive <laughs> it goes as it goes for noahs like, no no like, it wasn't
2: you know, like, it
0: wasn't negative not there positive
2: there was nothing disastrous <laughs> happening and the, i noticed him on the ice
0: <laughs> somebody says just shave the your whole head The
2: game was a disaster so maybe that's a net positive if you know it's it go right
0: there yeah somebody says in the youtube chat just shave your head i did that last year for a friend <laughs> who was diagnosed with cancer not doing it again unless i have to because it. I didn't like it. I, I don't. I didn't like the look. Looked like a big baby. I have a picture of myself with a <laughs> shaved head, fully shaved, with my like not new, not newborn at the time, but like four month old son, and we were just like twins, full on twins. So now you
2: have to post that picture. You clearly have just set
0: that up. I. I think I have posted it already. It might be on my Instagram. Oh, yeah,
2: looking for this. Ha, ha, ha.
0: <laughs> the rest of the show is just gonna be looking up embarrassing pictures of me. <laughs> They all exist. There's many of them. Uh, what about you, Sam? Did you see any positives for Vancouver? I guess Elias Petterson score. That was a nice was little gonna, slapper. That,
1: that was it. Uh, th- he drew two penalties and he scored a goal, which is probably one of his better games this season. He's been shockingly average, I would say. And for him, bad. Um, although his his version of bad is still pretty good. Um And the other positive is same positive as same positives as usual. Every game is that Connor Garland has been a great acquisition for the Canucks and Thatcher Demko is very, very good. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of been the Canucks whole season. It's Garland and Demko.
0: I was like, I find every time I watch them, I really like Nils Hoglander, but yeah, I, can't believe that he didn't realize he had an open net on that one opportunity that he had i know and like you have to praise the patience but also like little less patience there nils little little less Yeah. (laughs) but i really like him as a player so i hope he develops he's he's had a good
1: start to the season and he at least at the very least which is more than you can say for most of the canucks roster he brings it every game and you can see that he's trying and he's entertaining and he's fun and you know what? That's, that's all I can ask for at this point.
0: I feel like every everyone in both these fan bases is just like they're begging for crumbs. <laughs> it's just like, just give me entertainment. I don't even care about wins and losses. Just something fun, please. And I, I feel like, like a lot if of... If you
1: lose, I'd like you to leave it on the ice and yes. have a fun game. Like, I can live with that. It still sucks, but I can live with it. It's the super painful, like no effort losses that just drive me off a cliff.
0: Yeah, it is terrible. Uh, ben Hickman in the YouTube YouTube chat says, uh, gotta love short King Connor Garland. We always stand our short Kings, Brendan Gallagher, Cole Caulfield, Connor Garland. We love the short Kings.
2: <laughs> this is true. I, I think, I think the Canucks were the better of the two teams tonight. Like that's what I thought. And and so, you know, it's funny because I was like, okay, well, they don't they don't look that bad. Full disclosure, I haven't watched any other Canucks games this year. For the best. Is it just the Habs that make them look good? Like, are they that? And then I thought, and I, I said up front, I'm like, I'm okay if we get completely destroyed tonight because I can see a potential future here. So even if, like, I don't even care what the score is tonight. And then, of course, I was rewarded for that with the Habs loss, so... But, but I I'm, again fine. We are horrible. We deserve to lose. We deserve to have our GM fired. Start I'm at the
1: point where you know it's fun when they win, but there's a part of me that rationally is like they're going to win this game. They're going to beat Ottawa and they're going to have back-to-back wins to close out this road trip. <laughs> and suddenly there's going to be people who are like, "Yeah, things are turning around. It'll be fine." And it's like This is not how this works.
2: And that's how I thought of the entire playoff run. Part of me was like, yay. And another part of me was like, this means Bergman's thing at least another year. No.
0: (laughs) And that, that ended up not being true, which is kind of crazy. Like it's, it's, it's not often that like, sometimes a coach can be fired after a cup run, but very rarely a GM, but you look at the cataclysmic events that followed that cup run Yeah. And you see why things had to change. And I know that uh, Jeff Molson said today that the Logan Mayu pick uh, was not something that factored into the decision. And I think there's some truth to that because Molson has to wear that as well. He was part of that decision making process, he okayed that. But you look at just the trend of how everything went. And personally, I think, and from people that I've spoken to, the ripples of making that pick did go through the organization. There's a lot of women that work in that organization, maybe not in hockey operations, but in other areas, and they felt that. So anytime you do something that can shake up an organization like that, it's felt, and it trickles down all the way to on the ice, and then you don't replace a bunch of really important players, and then you get this shitstorm. So the writing was on the wall with this having to happen. I'm still kind of shocked that it actually did though, because my faith level in the Canadians actually recognizing a problem was so low, but I will yeah. say, hopefully it's not just words, the stuff that uh, Jeff Molson said today was good talking about expanding their hiring process and getting more diversity of opinion. Ex- talking about supporting mental health for players more development focus. That's all good stuff. Now they actually have to back it up.
2: It's it's good stuff. Um, it. Julian McKenzie tweeted that he wonders what diversity looks like for Jeff Molson, because you can say that over and over and over. And then like, what does that actually mean to you? Are we going to have like, really, what does that actually mean to you? I'm not going to get into specifics, but I, I can see, you know, I can see diversity meaning different things to different people and it not actually being, being something necessarily meaningful. Um, I hope it's meaningful. Uh, I, I would like it to be more than just words for sure. And I think having like a team dedicated to mental health, that was a nice specific or sounded like a specific, let's see if they action it. Uh, I thought that was excellent.
0: And Sam's just like, yeah, I, I'd like my team to do something. <laughs>
2: I mean, look,
1: the, the one thing that Connects actually have been pretty good at over the last 10 years and basically since uh, Rick Ripon passed away is that they actually have been one of the teams that have been very committed to advocating for mental health awareness. And so that's that's one thing that I will consistently praise this franchise for. But um, going back to the the ownership issue, I, like what is it like to have an owner who talks to the media? Like. <laughs> Or a GM, frankly. I mean, not that you really want Jim to talk to the media. It never ends very well.
0: Well, wasn't there a, a tweet that went out just like yesterday of uh, Francesco Aquilini meeting up with Ian McIntyre at an airport? So he meets with the media, just maybe not in official capacity.
2: I
1: have no comment.
0: Yeah, no comment. Are we not allowed to talk about that? I know it was a little bit <laughs> no, spicy honestly, on Twitter yesterday. It got,
1: yeah, it got really spicy. It's it's uh the the radio wars, which were a fundamental part of Canucks Twitter. It was like the two <laughs> radio stations, except then one of them got axed. Yes. it's now become the media wars, just generally. So it's been it's been a very spicy few days.
0: It's funny how like the cantankerousness of the Canucks fan base also filters through the media because I feel like in Montreal sometimes that happens maybe in like the more tabloidy french radio or french uh columnists but for the most part here it's like oftentimes when the canadians are really bad canadians media kind of like talks down to fans i mean like oh you just don't understand and yeah not all of them some of them will actually ask questions and push but a lot of people like to carry water as well
1: there's not there's significantly less of that in Vancouver. I think it's it ends up being more cantankerous because there are media members who are very much against carrying water for management and there are media members who do. And so there's always friction there. And it's pretty it's it's pretty funny to watch. Um, and you know, when when the team isn't performing well on the ice, it kind of takes on like that becomes the entertainment for fans, is like watching media members fight rather than watching the team
0: (laughs) that's how you know it's going real bad (laughs) yeah
2: having not watched the connects game i have been following shenanigans along on on twitter and like that that tweet about the practice (laughs) from Tom Strands.
0: yeah julian was in the comments on the chat a little while ago saying that he wanted to ask sam something about the practice I don't know what's going on there. I don't get the reference. I must have missed it.
1: Oh, Drance tweeted at that. Like during one of the drills, JT Miller yelled, Oh, we don't know what yeah. we're doing.
0: Oh yeah. my God. And then he, yes. got,
1: he got in trouble for it because Miller was really unhappy that he, he tweeted that and said it was like super out of context.
0: But like he overheard it.
1: Yeah. It's also just objectively funny because it like is. this franchise doesn't know what they're doing. It was hilarious.
2: It's like this applies to this drill, but it also applies yeah. to everything. <laughs> exactly.
0: One of those great analogies that was put out there by accident. Yeah. That's fantastic. Oh. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Is there anything else that we really wanted to cover in this game? I feel like we could also talk about uh like uh Paul Wilson being out, which was like the more surprising thing for the Montreal Canadiens, but you look at the media members reaction to that and it maybe shouldn't be so surprising. A couple of people I saw called him a bully and said that he had like uh, lashed out at people for negative coverage, which I will say I have personal experience uh, experience with, with uh, the Montreal Canadians reaching out to my former employer after I wrote a piece and telling them that they had to take it down. And they were like, no. Wow.
2: So that like, doesn't surprise me just from reading stuff not not reading stuff about that specifically but reading the responses that would I, again I feel like there's a lot of self-importance there so reading the responses to journalist questions or to reporters questions about you know how's this or what's that or can you explain this decision and um the general attitude just seemed to be like well, we know exactly what we're doing because we work for the Habs. So, therefore, we are. And I felt like that was like very much from the top. And again, that's what made me shake my head about um, about Jeff Molson suggesting that like this organization, everybody can speak out if they don't agree, and everyone's their own independent thinker. And I'm like, I I don't believe that at all, like at all, at all. <laughs> so I'm really hoping that that changes, but. It makes sense. It makes sense that that's what was happening.
0: What I'm hoping for with this whole situation and them actually removing the director of public relations is that they're going to attempt to give us more transparency. I was talking with uh, Eric angles the other day and it was a private conversation, but just like the general, gist of what we were saying is NHL teams overall need to give people more transparency and stop thinking that like, the more they tell people, the more they're going to be hung out to dry. Like, I think most fans want to know what the plan is. They want to know, like, what's an assistant GM do? I'd love to hear an interview with an assistant GM. Why don't media members have access to assistant coaches? They have something interesting to say. Like, one of the more interesting things in last year's playoffs was hearing things that Luke Richardson thought. Well, Dominique Ducharme was out with COVID, you know, like, yeah. I think there's a huge opportunity there for not only better stories, but to get what your organization is all about out there for fans to latch on to things as well. Like maybe you don't like the GM, but you end up really liking the assistant GM or the director of player personnel. Like that's something that can drive fans. It sounds dumb maybe to people who just want to watch hockey, but there's a lot of things that organizations can do to add transparency and add levels of interest for people. And maybe also showing like young kids of all walks of life, that this is a job that you maybe didn't even know existed that you could aspire to in hockey. That's not just a former player.
1: I love that idea. And it, it, for me, the other, the other side of it is that when you have franchises who are playing, who are doing poorly on the ice year over year, And you aren't transparent and you don't make clear who does what and like how decisions get made. You create these situations like the Canucks had a couple of years ago with Judd Brackett, where you have the fan base and media members talking about who made which pick and, you know, what happened there. And you have all this speculation that becomes this random point of focus that really distracts from everything else that's going on because everything is so dysfunctional (laughs) that you have to make a story out of everything. And if they were actually upfront about how these things happened, you kind of take away that kind of negative, that kind of not negative, but that kind of dramatic storyline that gets created and you diffuse that before it happens. And then to Andrew's point, it I think it would be great for that kind of transparency to happen because, you know, like how many kids look at it and they think, Oh, I want to be a coach. I want to be a gym. I want to be a player, but like, there are so many other roles within an organization that we just don't even know about or think about.
2: Yep. I think that they, the, the attitude that, um, you know, we can't tell you what's going on and all of that has, is again, back to the gatekeeping culture in hockey. 100%. Like only those who are in can be in and everybody else is out. And if you don't like it, well, that's the way it's always been. And, you know, back in the day and on the pond and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But Um, to your point, Sam, if something is going badly on top of like, on one hand, they think that if, if they don't give you any detail, then there's nothing for you to talk about, but all it does is generate the speculation. On the other hand, things aren't going well. And, um, you know, what's going on, you know, some details that also like for me, Generate some patience where I'm like okay it's not going well right now but I can see this coming up or or whatever I have some idea of the inner workings and it's not as like absolutely defeatist and frustrating as like well things aren't going well but as I've joked five million times we're on year 10 of the five-year plan so I, I should just have faith that Mark Bergerman knows exactly what he's doing period full stop no other details right And that's what we've been asked to
0: believe for ages. Right. And I think that's one of the things that Bergevin did a lot in press conferences that always really bugged me. Like, you remember when there was a big push for the Montreal Canadiens to, like, enhance their center position? And he would, like, basically goad media members and then be like, "Uh, this isn't PlayStation. You can't just, like, trade a bunch of things for a center. Being a GM is hard. Yeah, being a GM is hard, which (laughs) anytime a GM says something like that, I'm like, I don't care. It's your job. Yeah, Like, that's your job. (laughs) It's the same as like
2: (laughs) your job.
1: (laughs) There's a level of condescension in that in that answer. Right. Whereas if you're open about it, it feels like you're letting the fans in on what your plan is and you're treating them as part of the team as an equal who can understand what's going on rather than being like, you don't need to know the details. Yeah,
0: exactly. A question in the YouTube chat asking if the art on the back behind me is by Dave Murray. Yes, it is. It is uh Dave Murray Illustration.com. You can check it out. You can buy some of his stuff. He's a fantastic artist, very interesting. I love this one the most because it's Ken Dryden with both of his masks on, as you can see. I, I just love that little detail. But yeah, uh okay, so uh I, I think we're all in agreement on the transparency thing. I think that it, it's sorely needed across the NHL. Somebody brought up that refs should be more accessible to media as well, totally agree but uh, I don't want to keep you guys forever cause it is uh it's getting late and I know that you guys have real lives really appreciate everybody joining me here tonight. Uh, very hyped up for another 59 or 56 50, whatever 58 games of terrible hockey from the Montreal Canadians. Hopefully it'll be a little bit more prun- fun when Carrie price comes back. But I think the big takeaway from this one is Vancouver Canucks are a team that the Canadians are going to be fighting out with for a lottery pick. So, Probably better that they lose this one. And the most important thing this season, really, is that they don't go above the top ten in the league or the bottom ten in the league because they don't want to lose that pick to the Arizona Coyotes from the Christian Dvorak trade. If they do that, this is a gigantic disaster season because they might be losing the last pick, first round pick they made as well. You never know. Who? Well, it's, I found this it's out.
2: Okay, right? Which? It's okay if they lose the next fifty nine games because at least. At least we're starting over. So it's,
0: (laughs) yeah, there's something positive to look at, but I actually didn't know this until yesterday. Uh, Logan Mayu, who they drafted last year amid much deserved controversy hasn't even played yet this year. And there's a chance that he will not play at all this year. So even if you weren't looking at the controversy of it all and how awful it is to morally make that decision to reward that player, Drafting a player that you know has a chance to lose a full year of development in the first round.
2: That questionable choices. The same arrogance of like, nope, I know what I'm doing. This is the pick I want, right? Like if, if you'd listen to other people, this is why I don't believe uh, you know, there's there's any anybody who disagrees anywhere in that organization. And they're all, they were all yes men. Because someone would have pointed that out. It seems obvious that a bunch of us who don't work for the team and could have thought of that. Like
0: (laughs) you feel like having one woman on the management team could have probably stopped that pick from happening.
2: Well, there you go. (laughs) I will agree. Me too. All
0: right. Thanks so much for joining us guys. Before we let you go, uh, Sam and then Noah, tell us where we can find you. Where can we find your work? All that jazz. Uh,
1: You can find me on twitter i'm at samantha cp underscore and i'm also on the broadcast and on i uh, yahoo canada's zone time awesome
2: you can find me on twitter at hockey hijabi um with a lot of random hockey stuff and a whole bunch of other stuff as well mostly my random hockey stuff is had so full disclosure obviously. <laughs> um and uh you can also find my website with random writing at now
0: perfect thanks so much to both of you and thanks everyone for joining us i know it's tough season and you might not be that hyped to talk about a post-game show but i can guarantee you pretty much every single game we're gonna be more entertaining than montreal canadians so uh, keep tuning in please (laughs) we really want this show to be a success (laughs) talk to